appreciate it. Um, good morning, all. Morning. You guys are courageous. You just keep coming back. What are you? <laughs> Gluttons for punishment. That's what you guys are. Gluttons for punishment here. So, guys, it's an honor to be with you. Those of, the, of you who are with me for uh, the first time, uh, my name is Brian Pruitt. I uh, am from the city of Saginaw. And I'm glad to have you guys here with us. We have had an incredible journey thus far this week, um, and it is going to get better. We've got two more days. Come on, we got two more days. We've got two more days. God is a good God. Um, I've been at home talking to my wife about you wonderful people and uh, the wonderful conversations I've had, had an opportunity to, uh, to, to have with you, with you all and getting the chance to know you. I've really enjoyed that. Uh, like I said, one of the great joys of my life is just hearing people's stories, okay, and discovering talents, gifts, and abilities that they might have. I received a CD from a young lady yesterday. Mrs. Michelle. Hi, guys. Wow. Her, her and her husband gave me a gift of uh, a, a couple of CDs from her, and, and uh, yeah. I, I was driving home yesterday, and I put this into my CD player, and I just was like, oh, my God. Gosh. And I decided to listen to it on the way here this morning, too. So uh, what what a gift. Um, I, I don't know if you know this young lady or not, but excuse me, Michelle. Michelle, would you like to come and introduce me? Just please tell these people who I am. Coffee this morning. So we're going to find our spiritual caffeine this morning. Right there. 
It says this. It says, then I went across the lake to the region of Genesis. And this is a large portion of the scripture, so we're going to jump through it a little bit, okay? When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out, and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. I want you to jump down to verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there. He was dressed, and he was in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Jump down to verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him go, but instead said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all of the people were amazed. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've been doing in this room. We thank you, God, that family was your idea. It was your idea. You started this thing called family. And you called it the foundation. You started it. You made it the foundation of the world, Lord Jesus Christ. And God, although the world would try to dismantle it, you are strengthening it, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you're strengthening every family within this room, God. Give us tools to be better. Give us tools to do better, Lord. We thank you for your grace and mercy as we learn. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said amen. amen. Give somebody next to you a high five. Give them a high five. Give them a high five. Not a slap, a high five. Not a slap, a high five. Today's Today's sermon is simply called this, Out of the Tombs. In the world we live in today, what I am seeing in my travels is family and individuals within families who are ending up in tombs. And I don't necessarily mean physical tombs in regards to they have died. I mean spiritual and emotional tombs meaning that they are alive, but they are much like walking zombies. You can walk into families today, and you'll see a family living in a tomb. You can meet individuals today, and you will meet individuals who have somehow, life hath driven them into a tomb. 
And that individual, what we begin to realize is that that individual's tomb begins to affect the life of his or hers family. I was at McDonald's one day, and as I was at McDonald's, I remember seeing this poster, and it said, Family Night at McDonald's. And I looked at the picture, and I said, my God, where's the family at in the picture? It was just mom and the kids. I said, where's the family at in the poster? This is the image that the world wants to portray to us as family. God wants to keep our families strengthened, and he wants to keep our families together. If you agree with me, let me see you. Let me explain a few things before we move forward this morning. This man's story is not so much different than most of the stories and even my own personal story. And here's why. Because we have all, if you just live and you got a post and you've been alive for a little while, you have either lived in the tombs or you have come out of one at some point in time in your life. You're either there now or you've come out of one at some point in time in your life. Some of you are wondering, Brian, you just read a scripture about a man who was demon-possessed. Are you going to be in here telling us we got some possessions in here? No. What I want to talk to you about is the tombs of your life. Let me define what the tombs are. It is that area in our lives that we seem to retreat to when we feel rejected, hurt, or afraid. And let me tell you where those three things happen the most. Those three things happen the most in families. The closer people are to us, the more likely it is that those things happen. Rejection, hurt, fear, and families can be dismantled by poor communication. And all of a sudden, people are hurt. And all of a sudden, relationships are broken. And the enemy's dancing in the corner because he knows that people have been hurt. The tombs, it is that area in our life that we seem to keep hidden in silence. It is that place where no one really knows us fully because we have begun to make inner vows. And sometimes we make these inner vows within the relationships within our homes because we have been hurt in some fashion or form or offended by someone that we love. And let me tell you about those inner vows. Those inner vows, when they sound a little bit like this. Maybe you've made one before, and I would suggest that we've all probably have said something like this before and then had to repent. But inner vows sound like this. I call it tomb talk radio. <laughs> we begin to say stuff like this. I'll never do that again. I'll never trust again. I'll never love again. I'll never try again. I'll never dream again. And the truth is, is this. Those are all inner vows that if we are not careful, can be detrimental to our families and to our community. We as a people have a tendency to retreat to the tombs in silence and in despair. Here's what I want us to realize. As we look at this man's life, we have to look at the whole picture. How many of you guys remember when Jesus was talking? You remember when Jesus was talking to a crowd of people. He gets in a boat. He pushes out. And he's talking to the crowd of people. You remember this? Okay. He's now standing in a boat. He's talking to them. And here's what happens. Remember what happens immediately when Jesus is done. He immediately stops. Okay. He 
He immediately stops his speech and he tells the disciples, come on, get in the boat. They get in the boat and then they go through a storm. Remember this? Jesus stands up in the boat, speaks to the storm, peace, be still, right? And then they end up at this place right here in Scripture where Jesus meets the demoniac. Now let me take you to the, to the, to the beginning of this thing. Rewind button, you know how we do this. Here we go. Jesus is talking to the crowd. But here's the beautiful thing. He's not only talking to the crowd. While he's talking to the crowd, he's thinking about already where he's going. There's somebody on the other side of this lake that needs me is what he's thinking. Now, there are a couple key words in this passage of Scripture that I've read to you that I want you to understand. And we're going to get to it. Because behind this man was not just a man. Remember what Jesus said to him. He said at the end, he says, now go home to your what? Behind him were others. Behind him was a family. Jesus is preaching to a multitude of people, and yet he's thinking about one man and one family. Hello. He's preaching to multitudes of people, thinking about one man and one family. So much so, and so much so, that he stops what he's doing. The disciples are thinking, wait a minute, Jesus. He says, hey, you, 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 come on, but hop in the boat, we got to go. The disciples are thinking, wait a minute, Jesus, you didn't give an altar call yet. <laughs> this is the part where you get an altar call, you got to lay hands on people, people should be falling out, all this stuff. Come on, Jesus, do that stuff that you do. He says, no, hop in the boat. They hop in the boat, and as they're in that boat, a storm hits, as we said. Jesus stands up, he speaks to the storm, he calms the storm to get to this place with this one man, to fight for this one family. Here's the beauty of it. If he'll do that for that one man and that one family, guess what? He'll do the same thing for you as an individual and for your family as well. Come on. He will do the same thing. He will he will move heaven and earth to come and rescue you, move heaven and earth to come and fight for your family. God's all about fighting for family. So much so that when, when, when Noah was building an ark, God sheltered his what? His family. Imagine this. This man ends up in a place called the tombs. And as he ends up in this place called the tombs, the Bible tells us that no one can come towards him. No one can reach him. No one can touch him. No one can help him while he's there. He has isolated himself so much. Remember what scripture tells us. He had a family. They were in the tombs. Life had hit this family hard. He wasn't only buried, I like to say he was buried alive. Some of you would say, Brian, what do you mean buried alive? Buried alive in fear, buried alive in discouragement, buried alive in despair. There are families that are being buried 
and very alive at this point in our communities. And God is calling families such as ours to grab our shovels and begin to find people, begin to help people dig their families out of tough situations. Because here's the truth, you know the way, because you know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Here's what Jesus knew and understood about this man. He knew and understood, number one, that it takes somebody on the outside to set the person on the inside of the tomb free. Let me say it again. It takes somebody on the outside of the tomb to set the person on the inside of the tomb free. If you're taking notes, write that down. That's the first point. Are you the person that God has called to roll away the stone in somebody's life so that they can come out, so that their family can come into the light? The truth is, is that my family knows Jesus Christ because a 17-year-old boy <coughs> introduced me to Jesus Christ. And because of what that 17-year-old boy shared with my family, now there are heading into the second generation of believers in my family. What did he do? His name was Jeff. What did Jeff do? He was the one that pushed away the stone so my family could come out of the tombs and know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Are you the person that God has placed in front of the tombs of families' lives and individuals' lives? Heard some beautiful things about the ministry of you and your husband. That's what you were doing. You were pushing away stones so that people could come into the light and know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and the love of God. Absolutely beautiful. God's calling every one of us to reach those who are in tombs. We were playing against, I was playing in a game in college, and this guy comes up, he makes a tackle. And when he makes the tackle, he starts swearing at me. He says, Pruitt, I'm sick of you. I'm going to be on you all day long. And then he starts swearing. He says, you, boop, 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 Yeah, Michael Jackson, if you want to. He was very talented. Very talented, young man. Swearing at me to the beat of Michael Jackson's beat, and that's, that's quite talented. And in one of those moments where God speaks to again, and as I turn the head back to the hub, because we're mouthing off at each other now, God speaks again very quickly. He says, Tell him Jesus loves him. Now? Now? Jesus loves him. I turned to him and he's like, you bad, bad. He's still going with the Michael Jackson thing. And I said, hey, Jesus loves you. He goes, what? <laughs> True story. <laughs> and he just looks at me, he turns and he walks away, right? I go back to the huddle. The rest of the game, I start scoring touchdowns left and right. I'm thinking, I'm impressive. <laughs> <laughs> You know one of those things when God shows you you're not? 
I'm thinking, I'm impressive. I'm, I'm a lot better than I thought I was out here, right? We win the game. Game ends. About a week later, this guy, a friend of mine, one of my, a friend of mine comes to my house. Matter of fact, he was a teammate of mine. And he says, hey, you remember when we played such and such? I said, yeah. He says, was there a guy that started swearing at you in the middle of the game? I said, oh, Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah. And he says, I said, you, I said he said, did you tell that guy Jesus loves him? And I said, yeah. How'd you know about that? And he goes, I went to high school with that guy. He says, he plays for that college. Of course, I play here. And he says this. He says to me, he says, uh, he said, uh, you know what happened when you told him that? I said, no. He says, did you know that she starts scoring a lot of touchdowns? I said, yeah, come see. <laughs> he says, no. He says, when you told the guy that Jesus loved him, he says, he didn't know what to do with that. His coach starts swearing at him and said, you look like you're not even trying to tackle that guy. And he told his coach, he says, coach, I don't know what to do. He says, when I talk with a guy, he tells me Jesus loves me. <laughs> Let me tell you something. 
God is setting people free and he uses us to do it. And often he sends us to people's tools to set them free. Amen. Second, number two. God understood that he could set this man free because he understood what he had become was not what he was created to be. What he had become was not what he was created to be. If you have ever spent any time in your life where you just didn't know Christ and maybe you have found yourself in this situation, you were becoming something that God had not necessarily created you to be. I was sitting at my dinner table and uh, I was having breakfast, it was a Sunday morning. My daughter came up to me, it was 2020. Right before, right before COVID hit, it was like just, just it had to be two months before like, the thing just got out, just went nuts. And my daughter comes up to me and she says this. She says, Dad, I had this weird dream last night. I said, I said, I can help you with that. She says, you can? I said, yes, I can. And she says, how? I said, you got to stop eating Subway and pizza before you go to bed. And we will resolve this whole issue for you. I said, thank you very much. I'll send you a bill in the morning. Okay? She says, no, Dad, you got to hear this. She says, I had a dream last night. And in the dream, she says, the dream was about your dad. I said, my dad? She says, yeah. I said, that's a strange dream, because you don't know my dad. I said, if my dad was sitting next to you, you wouldn't know my father. She says, I know. That's why you got to hear this. In the dream, she says, dad, you know how, she says, you and your father, she said, in the dream, your dad died. She says, you and your father never made amends. And she says, and you know how you're all about your family? I said, yeah. She says, when your dad died and because you guys didn't resolve things, she said, you changed. I said, what do you mean I changed? She said, you didn't change for, you didn't change for the good. You changed for the worse in my dream. And she said, dad, this dream was so real. She said, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I think you need to find your father. Well, what my daughter didn't know is the last conversation I had with my dad that was 2020. The last conversation I had had with my father was in 1995, NFL Draft Day. And that conversation was quick. It went like this. It was, he called, I hadn't talked to him in 10 years before that, and at that point in time, it was about money. And I said to my dad that day, I said, hey, you know all that stuff you did to my mom? Yeah. I said, I'm big, I'm fast, I'm strong. I'm looking for when I find you, you're going to have a horrible price to pay. I hung up the phone. That was our last conversation. Okay. Here I am, 2020. My daughter says this. When she tells me about this dream, I'm eating my Frosted Flakes. Delicious. <laughs> you got about you got about five minutes to eat them, though, because they get soggy. Yeah. 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 They're great. I heard it They're great. Right? You got about five minutes to eat them, because once they get soggy, no good. I'm eating my Frosted Flakes, and when she tells me this, I stop. By the time she's done, these are ruined. Right? <laughs> I tell my my daughter walks away, and I think to myself, that ain't happening. That was Sunday. I start feeling 
God challenging me in regards to my dad. On Monday, my wife says, Brian, you need to come up to my work. I said, so, okay. She said, I got something you need to see. I go up to her job. She slaps a set of pictures in my hand. I said, who put my face on these old pictures? She says, that's not you. I said, sure it is. She says, no, those are pictures of your dad. I don't own pictures of my father. I said, where did you get these at? She said, some lady was on her deathbed at Covenant Hospital in Sagamore. She asked her friend, do you know the Pruitts? The lady said, yes. She said, would you please get these pictures to Brian Pruitt? She got those pictures to my wife. My wife handed it to me. Monday, the dream. Tuesday, the pictures. I mean, Monday, Sunday the dream, Monday the pictures. Tuesday, I said, this is really weird. I think I need to find out where my dad's at. I find out my father's in a mental institution in Cleveland, Ohio, bipolar, schizophrenic. He had been living on the streets for many, many years, homeless. So now I know where he's at. Wednesday, my wife calls. So let me backtrack. Monday the dream, Sunday the dream, Monday the pictures. Tuesday, I discovered he's in Cleveland, Ohio. On Wednesday, my wife calls and says, sweetheart, I got bad news. I said, what's going on? She says, I've got to get it. She says, my job is, wants me to go to a conference, and she says, and, I, and they want me there this weekend. I said, no problem. I got the kids. Do what you got to do. She said, guess where the conference is at? I said, where? She said, Cleveland, Ohio. I said, great. You have a nice tie. <laughs> she said, did you hear what I said? I said, I heard you. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> <laughs> you're going. Yeah, you're going. Don't try to run it. She said, she's going to have your butt on that plane. Is what you're going to do. <laughs> Sunday the dream. Monday the pictures. Tuesday I discover where he's at. Wednesday I find out that I am going to be in Cleveland, Ohio. By the end of the week. In the gospel version song, first version of that song, he's trying to tell me something, okay? I end up in Cleveland, Ohio on Friday. My wife says, you got two days to find your father. It's a big city. Do you know, this is, this is the grace and the coolness of God. My dad was three blocks away from the hotel. Oh, my. Oh, my. See, God's interested. absolutely beautiful. Isn't it great to know that Jesus Christ is a part of your family? We're still on the second point. What we become, I 
what God has called us to be, created us to be. I walk into the hospital that day where my dad is at. And when I get into his room, we look very much alike. And I'll tell you how much so in just a minute. It's like looking in the mirror. I walk in, he realizes who I am. I say, Dad, it's me, Brian. He turns, he looks. He starts screaming for security. Because <laughs> <laughs> he remembers the conversation we had. I put my hands up like this, security's come. I say, hey, I, I'm not here to hurt him. I said, Dad, I'm not here to hurt you. I said, I'm not that man anymore. I said, I actually came to tell you that I forgive you. I watched my father fall to his knees and just start crying when I said that. I walked over to him and wrapped my arms around my dad, 48 years old at the time, I believe. First time in my life I've ever hugged my father. <laughs> I hug him, I hold him, we weep together. You know why? God's interested in family. And he was calling my family out of the tumors. Amen. I asked my dad the same questions that I would ask you this week as I met you. Hey, you got kids? Hey, where you guys living? Hey, what's your favorite color? Orange? Oh, that's great. Volunteer orange? That's good. <laughs> When's your birthday? What do you like to do on your free time? I asked him the same questions I would ask a stranger. But the most powerful thing that happened that day was calling him out of the tombs. I left. I got on a plane. I went back to Saginaw, Michigan. A few weeks later, the phone rang. Mr. Pruitt, your father's dying. Would you like to talk with him? Remember the dream? <laughs> that started this whole thing? My daughter was sitting next to me, and I, I looked. As she, they told me this. I did like this and looked at my daughter. Like, what manner of child is this? Is <laughs> favor with God and man? <laughs> I said, yeah, please put him on the phone. My dad got on the phone, and here was our conversation. I said, Dad, I can't make it back to Cleveland that quick. I said, they tell me you're dying. He says, yes. I said, this is going to be our last conversation. He said, yeah. I said, Dad, I just want to let you know something. He says, if it wasn't clear when I was there with you, let me make it clear before you leave this earth. Second of all, I don't know if anybody's ever told you. I said, but I'm old enough now to know that pain gives birth to pain, and hurt people tend to hurt other people. I said, you caused a lot of hurt, but maybe it was because you were so hurt yourself. Remember, it was him who watched his mother be murdered in front of him. I said, has anybody ever told you I'm sorry for what happened to you? I said, then let me be the first. And as I began to apologize to my dad and just speak healing into his life, I heard him begin to weep on the other side of the phone. 
Then I said, Dad, I love you. And then I waited for him to say the words back because that's the one thing he didn't say in Cleveland. And I was wondering, I thought that was strange. So I said it, and I was waiting to see if he would say it back. And he didn't say it back. And I'm going to tell you, the seven-year-old inside of me wanted to throw a fit. Oh, yeah. How dare you? And God said, stop it. You stop it. I don't need seven-year-old Brian Pruitt to show up in this situation. I need somebody to roll the stone away so this man can come out of the tomb. I don't need you to be seven-year-old Brian Pruitt. I need you to be adult Brian who knows how to bring healing to families and who knows how to bring healing to people. That's who I need in this conversation, Brian. And when I begin to minister to that mindset to my dad that day, regardless of what he would say back to me, you can feel the healing taking place. You can feel the change breaking over his life. And then I asked my father probably the best question I could ever ask on planet Earth. I said, Dad, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? My father said, no. I said, then it would be my greatest honor to introduce you to my father. I said, he did a heck of a job raising me. And he was the one who helped me find you. And my dad said, I want to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That day I led my dad to Jesus. We got off the phone. And it was our last conversation. He passed away shortly thereafter, hours thereafter. But it was the day I introduced my dad to my father. God put me in a position to roll away the stone. And what a beautiful, only God could write that story. Only God could write that story. It is true that when he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you hope, plans to give you a future. It is true. It is true. Man, I hung up. I said, God, only you can write this story. God is always putting us in situations. Here's the thing. Had I judged my father on what he had become instead of what God wanted him to be, which was his son, which was a chosen son of God, even with all the wrong he had done, it's still not for me to tell him he couldn't go to heaven. That's what the cross is for. Last statement I said to my dad is this. I said, we didn't spend a lot of time here. But I'll see you now on the other side. And we'll spend more time together in heaven. Wasn't for me to judge. Let me tell you how much we look alike. I was, non, I was on an elevator in the city of Saginaw. This lady steps on an elevator and she has a panic attack. While she's having a panic attack, I'm thinking, this is not good. There's me and this lady on the elevator and she's having a panic attack. This door opens. This does not look good to anybody who's standing on the other side of this door. I'm having a panic attack at this point. <laughs> and I'm going, ma'am, are you okay? But every time I do this, she freaks out even more. Okay? I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. The doors of the elevator open. 
she takes off, runs off the elevator, and I'm like, what in the world just happened? I called my wife and I said, honey, stay on the phone. Something really strange just happened. I don't know if this lady's going to get the cops. I don't know what's going on. Stay on the phone, okay? Nothing ever transpired from it. I never saw the lady again. I never saw the lady again until my father's funeral. I told my brothers and sisters not to open up the mic that day because our dad had done a lot of damage. And they said, no, we're going to open up the mic. I said, don't do that. They opened up the mic. And that lady came to the funeral and she walked up to the mic. And she began to read off a poem, and the poem started like this. The poem simply stated, he beats me, he breaks my bones, and then he serves me orange tea as an apology. At this point, my brothers and sisters are looking at me like, did you get hurt? And I'm thinking, I told you don't open up that mouth. <laughs> I have spoken many places in front of God knows many different sized crowds. <clears throat> That was the hardest speech I ever gave in my life. Because I couldn't lie and say he was something that he was not. But what I could do was stand up and apologize for what he did. And as I did that, I watched that lady just begin to weep. And then I noticed another lady in the crowd who began to weep. And then I noticed another lady in the crowd who began to weep. And then I noticed another one who began to And what I began to realize by the time I was done was, they were all different women who he had done very similar things to. And at the end, they came up to me and said, we thank you for your apology. Because what did God do that day? He set me in front of a tomb, and he told me to push so that they could come out into the light of Christ. Listen. This man's life looked a little bit like this. You see, when you live in the tombs, it's very interesting just how loud pain can be. We think people don't see it. I believe that was that man speaking. I believe that was that man's issue speaking. 
we all have issues. We all have things in life. And Jesus says something beautiful. Go on to your family. Let me paint this picture for a moment. Scripture doesn't talk about this, but I like to paint pictures. Because according to Scripture, it would seem to me that he obeyed Christ. He wanted to go with him, but God said, no, 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 no. You go home to your family. We don't know how long he had been in the tombs. What we know is that he wasn't born there. Something happened in life that sent him into the tombs. I was in South Carolina. I met a man. His name was Sonny. Homeless gentleman. And I said, excuse me, sir. He was standing by the door. I said, can I buy you a meal? And he says, he, he says sure. I bought him a meal, and as I gave him the food, he said, can I, can I use your phone? And I said, sure. What do you need my phone for? He says, I need to call. See that? See that? See that? See that? I don't know her. Is that you? No. He says, can I borrow your phone? I said, what do you need my phone for? He says, I need to call oh, my family. No, right I said, I need to call my family. Now think about this. I said, Sonny, where do you live at? He says, I live out in those woods right behind the McDonald's. I said, but you want to use my phone to call your family? He said, yeah, then you should bring my check to me here. I said, you have a family who's going to bring you a check, and you live out in the woods behind the McDonald's. He said, yeah. He's a man who lived in the tombs. The question is what happened to Sonny to drive him into the tombs? Welcome to life. I remember making the call for him. I said, I got a gentleman here. His name is Sonny. He said, you're his family? They said, yeah. I said, he's expecting you to bring his check? They said, yeah, tell him we'll be right up there. God tells this man to go home to his family. He goes, could, could you imagine? He goes home to his family. And here's the thing. It says on his way, he goes through Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities. That's what it means, ten cities. On his way home, he goes through ten cities. And it tells us that while he's going through those ten cities, he's preaching the gospel. Now, here's the thing. Wait a minute. This guy was crazy one minute, and now he's an evangelist? You mean God saw that in him? I know you can get the two confused sometimes, okay? <laughs> God saw that in him. That's what was trapped inside of the tombs. This gift to tell others about Jesus. He goes through ten cities. He tells people about Jesus. And then, I can only imagine he ends up at home. He goes back to his family. What does that look like? Little boy comes to the door. Sees a man who's been trapped in the tombs for years. Dirty, worn out. Doesn't even recognize him. Yeah, yes, sir, can I help you? Uh, yeah, yeah, Bobby, it's, it's me, Dad. Excuse me, sir? Yeah, Bobby, it's me, Dad. No, no, sir, my, my, my dad, he's been gone for years. He's been gone for years. I'm, I'm the kid in the city that his dad left. My dad's been gone for years. Everybody in the village, they know that my father 
left me and my mom for years. He kept recognizing his father through the dirt and the grit of living in the tomb for so many years. I can hear his mom in the background. Bobby, who's that at the door? Mom, there's some man at the door. He, he, you got to come see this. She comes to the front door. Can I, can I help you, sir? Uh, Betty, it's, it's me. She doesn't even recognize the man that she once said I do to, and they stared each other in the eyes and made a commitment to build a family. It's been so long, she doesn't recognize it. Betty, it's me. Uh, sir, please get off my front porch. Yeah, please leave this place. Betty, it's me, Robert. Once she recognizes who he is through all the dirt, the grime, and the years of living in the tombs, I don't know what scripture says, but I don't think God sent them home to fail. I believe somehow that God restored that family. Is there any place in your family? Is there a relative? Is there a son? Is there a daughter? Is there a grandson that you just need restored? According to this story, God restores families. Here's how I am. Little boy wanted to hang out with his dad. His mom and dad, they just get home from work. They're busy. Dad sits down and mom sits down and they both begin to read the newspaper. And the little boy wants the attention of his father, so he says to him, he says, Dad, you know, let, let's go outside, let's play. And the dad says, so we will in just a minute. And he comes back and asks him a day, now, Dad, can we go out? And, hey, son, we will. He comes back in just a minute. His mother says, hey, don't bother your dad. He'll be here in just a moment. The dad figures, man, if I can just buy a little bit more time to relax. And so as he's reading the newspaper, what he realizes on the next page is the picture of the world. He hands the boy the picture and he says, hey, listen, he said, he rips it up and he hands it to him. He says, hey, here's a puzzle for you. Go put this puzzle back together. If you can put this, the, the world back together. He said, if you can put this back together, when you're done, I'll be ready to take you out and we can go play. He says, okay, Dad. His father gave him a task that he thought would take him about 30 minutes. He came back in 10. And he said, how'd you do that so quickly? He said, oh, it's easy, Dad. He said, I looked on the back side of it. And he says, on the back side of it, there's a picture of a family. And when I put the family back together, on the other side, the world came back together. It was easy. This is where we're at now. When we put families back together, we're going to put this whole thing back together again. This is why I encourage you, we need you to stay in position. And in the words of God himself, as Jesus spoke to this man, go home to your families and tell them how much God has done for you. Can we give God a hand? Let me say this before I sit down, then I'm going to be done. Tomorrow's going to be our last session, if I'm correct, Emma. I'm going to share some things with you tomorrow that I know are, will be great take-homes and tools that you can use. Jesus is in the setting people free and delivering them. And 
there are, as I said, there are many families and tombs. Um, not too long ago, I had a friend of mine um, who was just trapped, just trapped in a tomb. We didn't know how much of a tomb he was trapped in. Okay. Uh, I was sitting in my office and the phone rang and I answered the phone and discovered that my one of my buddies had taken his life. Okay. Um, jumped off of a bridge in Saginaw. Um, and I can't tell you, can't tell you, and some of you may know, so I won't say I can't tell you, some of you may know, when someone you love is in a tomb and it's just difficult to reach them and get to them, and maybe you didn't get to them in time, okay? And I'm going to say I brought this point up because I think I need to. I don't know who it's for, but I try to be led of God when I do these things. There may be the one person in the room, but I'm going to be obedient. Amen. I had to forgive myself for not being able to get into that tomb. God wants you to forgive yourself for not being able to get into that tomb. There may be somebody here understand those things. We don't understand why they happen. But I will simply say this. Let God be God. And you forgive yourself. And you don't have to live with these. You'll be free. And you'll be aware of others who are around you. Okay? I wanted to share that just in case. I didn't intend on sharing Bless you all. Are there any questions before I boot you out of this place? Okay. Yes. This isn't so much a question. Yes. It is a comment. Yes. Um, I've had a, a few incidents that have happened in, in, in my past. Yeah. That that um, I, like I could have helped in the situation, but I did. Uh -huh. I, I just failed. Yes. And I had. Regrets like you were talking about. Yeah. Like, like, but here, here's what I found. Once we think every one of those situations that, that I felt like I failed in, it set me up for the next thing that happened. So I knew what to do. Yeah. And 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 I and we responded in the right way and, and helped. And uh, uh, one situation, one person lost their life. The other one had the potential, but they got home safe and sound. Can you give us your hand clap, please? Let's go. Here's what I want you to know, and I was just talking to my friends here yesterday about this as well, is I come to stuff like this, I don't, I don't have all the answers. But, but I come to learn too. And so what I love about what he just said was, that's a learning moment, right, for all of us. Uh, sometimes you miss it, right? The question is, what did you learn from it? And, and not to live with the guilt of those things. God doesn't want you to live with the guilt of those things. He doesn't, okay? Um, you become more aware of the things that are happening around you. What's your name, sir? Larry. Larry, thank you so much for that wisdom. Appreciate that. 
Yes, me too. I was going to say this. I had a situation where my mom took me out of tombs. Mm -hmm. And it was about my grandma. Mm -hmm. And she was a Jehovah Witness. And I kept witnessing to her, kept witnessing to her, kept witnessing to her. Okay. She passed away. So at the burial, I'm just crying my eyes out. Right? My mom's like, what is wrong? I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to see grandma again because, you know, I kept witnessing and witnessing and witnessing. Right? She said, you may have gotten through and not know it. And she was like, you did all you could to witness to her. She was like, you may see her again. You don't know that. So she took me out of that tomb. It was temporary. But she took me out of the tombs and it helped me to help somebody else. And it, the message I got from it was, the Lord was like, you made that attempt. Mm -hmm. And it's just like witnessing. Yeah. You make that attempt. Yeah. You may not think you get through right away. It may percolate later on. That's right. That's but that's something you don't know. You, but at least you did your job. That's right. And like I said, my mom took me out of that temporary tomb yeah. as far as that. Situation, so it can happen. Come on, give him a before we close up. He kind of addressed this too, but if maybe you can speak to or offer some encouragement for people that we know who are in a tomb don't really want to be released. Yeah, or we, you know, try and they just, for whatever reason, they just don't want to be. And if you didn't hear her, she said, What do you do when you're speaking to people who are in a tomb? But they don't, they do not want to be released. Okay. I sat in my office yesterday meeting with somebody very much like that. Okay. And, and my statement to the person whose mother brought him to me, I said, listen, I said, it's like you're in a tomb. You're screaming for somebody to come and get you. And then when we show up to come get you, you run us all off. Okay. You, you want out, but you want to be left alone at the same time. I said, if you're going to be rescued, you've got to let somebody in. Come into your life. And you meet people like that, okay? I think the situation varies. I'm not always 100% sure what the answer is to that. What I know for sure is this. Consistency is part of the key. In other words, when you get ready, I'm going to be here. Uh, often they just try to run you off and then go walk back into the tombs, okay? Remember, that's what it said about this man that he was isolated in the tombs and people who tried to set him free did not and he would run them off as well too, okay? So that is his exact scenario. And so consistency, I think, is the key that we just remain present uh, because we can't force him to do anything with consistency, yes? Thank you, Michelle. What I found that helped me in that situation is that I remind him that we're the seed planters yeah. and he's the water. And we don't know if once we plant that seed, someone else will come into their life or someone else down the road or something yeah. So I found comfort in knowing that we're planting the seed. Yeah. And then it's not our job yeah. to make sure it happens. That's right. That's right. You know, that's up to God.
right? Yeah.